Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, We have been reading the Gospels together this fall, and for the first few weeks, we have been uh, looking at some of the healings of Jesus. Uh, Healing is one of the primary ways that Jesus uh, served people, and that is often how he described himself, as a servant, as the one who came uh, to serve, as the one who came for those who are not well. He described himself as the good shepherd. And every once in a while, Jesus would heal someone, and then that would make somebody else really, really upset. And we're going to look at one of those this morning. So I'm going to read from Luke 13 for us. I'll read verses 10 through 17, and you can follow along if you'd like in the order of worship where it's printed. This is Luke 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask as we uh, read, as we think about this word that we have uh, read together and heard together as we talk about it for a few moments, that, that what we just sang together, we would experience to be true, that you, by your spirit, would work good within us. So we pray that that would be true. We pray that we be the kind of people who admit that we need some good work in us, that you would give us the ear of faith to listen, the eye of faith to see that you'd show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it. And we prayed in his name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I saw an ad uh, for a dentist online. At least I'm I'm, uh, pretty sure it was a dentist. It was definitely a a mouth thing, definitely some kind of tooth thing uh, that this ad was about. Um, I bet some of you have seen something like it. It was... uh, a stock picture of a smiling couple. It was just a, a, a generic couple looking really happy, but the guy had an obvious missing tooth right in the front of his mouth. Very obvious. It's not the oddest thing in real life, but it is definitely odd to see uh, in an ad. And so it caught my attention, and I lingered long enough on the ad to read the copy underneath the picture, which was, of course, the exact desire of the ad-making people. 
And it said something like this. It said, here's why you need to go to Skyview Smiles, or whatever the name of the place was. Uh, Because even though he's missing an eyebrow, you saw the missing tooth. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I did this double take, and I looked back up at the picture, and sure enough, the guy who was missing the tooth was also missing an eyebrow. Very clever Skyview dentist. Very clever. You know, alarming and unsettling, but clever. And I thought about that this week while I was uh, reading again about that ruler in the synagogue that day in the story we just read. Jesus heals the woman. And it's like this guy can't see it. He can't see it. All he can see is the glaring problem. All he can see is the unsettling disorder that Jesus has thrown into his preferred way of keeping the rules. This woman and her healing and Jesus' part in that healing, they all remain unseen and unacknowledged to this man. He cannot see them, or maybe he will not let himself look. And so Jesus, who has a holy kind of discontent at that kind of willful blindness, he recenters all of those things. He recenters all of them. This woman, his healing of her, and what all of that means for people like us. Luke says one day Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And if you read the Gospels, you know this is a really familiar scene. Synagogues were were gathering places. They were buildings that became central to the life and faith of God's people wherever they were located. The temple in Jerusalem, of course remained the center of the religious life of God's people. But not everybody lived in Jerusalem. Not everyone could get to Jerusalem. And so the synagogue was the local place where people would gather to hear Scripture read and to be taught and to worship together and simply just to be together. And it looked like Jesus' practice was when he traveled through a town or a city, he would go to the synagogue, and if he was invited, he would preach in that synagogue. And that's what's happening. Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath, the day set apart in the fourth commandment as a day of rest for God's people. We just heard that commandment read to us in the Old Testament lesson. Six days you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So it's easy to imagine this is the big day for any synagogue, right? This is the big day. Nobody's working, and if you can be there, you're going to be there. And behold... Behold, Luke says, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. The behold at the front end of that sentence is Luke's way of making sure that we are paying attention. It is Luke's way of making sure that our eyes are focused on this woman. And the word that he uses there that we read as disabling spirit, they're they're more literally translated as a spirit of, of weakness or a spirit of infirmity. That's an unusual way to put things. It's worth thinking about why Luke might have done that. You know, even though I'm sure that there was one, Luke is uninterested in giving us any kind of medical explanation for this woman's condition. Instead, he has cast it in a very different light because Jesus later on cast it in a very different light. He says that her condition is a result of Satan having bound her. But this is, this is not an exorcism, church. There are no spirits that are cast out in this story. Instead, 
telling us the story in this way, Luke has pulled back the veil a little bit on our own experience of suffering, which is to say that this world is broken because of sin. It is not the way that it's supposed to be. And so our way through life, your way, my way through life, it gets marked, it gets bound by that brokenness. Frances Gensch, who teaches at Union Seminary, put it like this. She said, this woman is caught between life-destroying evil and the life-giving power of God. She writes, forces in this world disfigure and diminish human life contrary to God's intentions. And this is why I think so many of the church fathers and so many interpreters throughout the history of the church, right up until the present day, have pointed out that the woman in this story provides a moving picture of all human experience in a broken and sinful world. She is emblematic church of all our dispositions in life. We are bent over and bound and laboring and our whole selves need to be set free. We need the one who came for those who are not well. (laughs) And that's the truth. But of course, it wasn't a metaphor who walked into the synagogue on that Sabbath day. It was her. It was that particular woman. And it is hard and and it's necessary for people like us to consider her experience of life. For 18 years, her world had been reduced from what she had known before, however long that was. She was unable to greet people as she once had, her eyes meeting their eyes, her own face being seen and regarded with welcome. Small things in life, things that she used to take for granted, things that everyone around her would take for granted have become far more difficult for her. The pro- the, just the process of walking from her home to the synagogue that day was not simply a walk from one place to another. It was something she had to prepare for and plan. And if there was some obstacle in her way, she had to hope first that there would be people around and second that they would care enough to assist her. But church, she went to the synagogue that day with no special requests of God. She was there like everyone else was to worship God and to hear scripture read and to hear some teaching and to be with her community. We don't even know if she knew that Jesus was there that day, but this is what we do know because Luke has made sure that we know Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her, and as Luke says in verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over. And I know that this is a part of the story that would be easy to go right past to get to the big event, but we should not because this is a remarkable moment. Just just think about this for a moment. You know, what if if Paul Vanderbile, our our worship director, um, what if if he was uh, leading one of those songs that we already sang this morning, like the first two verses of Come, O Spirit, and then right before the third verse, what if Paul just stopped everything? he told all the musicians to to stop playing and to be quiet. And he called one of you by name and he said, come up here and I want you to stand with me up here. 
You know, what would it be like? What would it be like for all of us who saw that? What, what would it be like for the person who was called up? I don't know, you know, it makes me feel all kinds of ways just thinking about it. But it would be remarkable and nobody would ever forget it. And that's what happened here. Jesus is preaching, church. Jesus is preaching. He's holding forth on something. And you can be sure that whatever it was was pretty important. And he looked up and he saw her and he stopped everything. The sermon was abandoned. And now all eyes are on her and all eyes are on Jesus. If she had ever felt a loss of dignity from this infirmity, if she had ever felt invisible because people didn't really know how to be with her, if she had ever felt unseen before, can you imagine this? The uncertainty of that moment, the fear, the nervous anticipation that she and that whole room must have felt, the place must have been electric with it. It must have been on fire. And Jesus steps directly into that. And he says, woman, you are freed from your infirmity. And he reaches out his hand and he touches her and immediately she is made straight and she glorifies God. All of this happens in just a few seconds. This woman's body is restored in just a few seconds. This is the healing work of Jesus, church. This is the healing work of Jesus then and now and forever. When Jesus heals someone, he is restoring them to what they were always meant to be. When Jesus heals someone, he's not breaking into the natural, normal order of things with some foreign power, with some strange, alien power. When Jesus heals someone, what he is doing is causing the true order of things to be seen. He is causing the way that it is supposed to be, to be seen and experienced and felt in the brokenness and disintegration of this fallen place. He's showing us what it looks like to turn back the forces in this world that disfigure and diminish human life contrary to what he intends for us. When Jesus heals, he shows us what the kingdom of God looks like. And those healings are a promise that one day, church, the kingdom of God will be all that anyone sees anywhere. Enter the uh, indignant ruler of the synagogue. <laughs> you know, by way of understanding, I think it helps us to remember uh, that the world in which they live, the world in which they live was a world under the thumb of a foreign empire. And that had been their lot in life for a very, very long time. I'm talking about hundreds of years. The Romans were just the latest in a long line of foreign overlords. And in a world like that where your own identity felt like it was perpetually, uh, perpetually under the threat of extinction. And if you tie that with a desire to be faithful to the God who's been faithful to you, it's easy to understand how people would want to cling to things. They would want to hold on to things that, that would maintain their identity. And keeping the Sabbath, of course, was one of those things, along with the food laws, that God's people clung to really closely, precisely because it was so distinctive of their identity as a people. It reminded them who they were. 
And this ruler, whose job it was to run the synagogue, whose job it was to maintain order there, he certainly would have felt an obligation to maintain those distinctives. And church, all of that is understandable. All of that makes sense. But there are lots of things that start out as understandable and that start out as good that end up getting all twisted and distorted and messed up. We, uh, and by we I mean you and me, we are widely proficient at doing that. (laughs) Our pride messes things up for one thing, our fear too. And we're not exactly let in on this guy's motives for doing what he did, but it seems reasonable to think that his pride has been damaged. It it seems reasonable to think that in that moment he fears losing something that he thought was really, really important. And I say that that's reasonable because he uses the classic ploy of deflected anger. He does not address Jesus. He addresses the crowd, his people there in the synagogue on that fine Sabbath day. There's six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The implication is clear. Jesus had worked. How he could have waited for tomorrow. Jesus, for that matter, you could have waited just a few hours when the sun went down and it wasn't Sabbath anymore. I mean, it's been 18 years, Jesus. What's a couple more hours? He sees the world through a prism that distorts reality. And so he is a sleepwalker, blind. He has missed the needful things that day. This this woman's liberation. (laughs) And what that really means about who Jesus is. And his prism has made him miss the deep meaning of the Sabbath itself. I mean, he could obviously quote from Deuteronomy 5. It's clear It's clear that he knew Deuteronomy 5. It's clear that he knew the fourth commandment. But he had missed the reality on which the Sabbath was grounded, which we also heard in the Old Testament lesson. After all that about not working and keeping the Sabbath day holy, it says you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand. And with an outstretched arm, (laughs) therefore you are to keep the Sabbath day. The deep meaning of Sabbath, church, it is freedom. The deep meaning of Sabbath is liberation. The deep meaning of Sabbath is you were bound and God loosed you and now you can rest. And the rest of that Sabbath is in turn a perpetual reminder of the reason that you can rest. You can rest because you have been freed. You have been loosed. That's what the ruler had missed, and that's the point of Jesus' answer to him. You'll loose animals on the Sabbath day so they can get a drink of water, but not this woman. This is, this is the willful blindness of hypocrisy. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on this day? Do you hear the beautiful moral logic of Jesus? Tell me a better day to release her and give her freedom. Could there be a better day than the Sabbath? And church, I I have to admit that I'm often like that ruler in the synagogue running around like a sleepwalker blind. 
because I have started to allow some prism to distort my view of reality, to distort what I know is the true story of the world, that thing that we rehearse here every Sunday, the good news of Jesus. Some twisted cultural version of the good life, maybe, where my needs and my wants are the primary things that get service. I mean, if we hear that once, we hear that a hundred times a day. I probably don't need to remind anybody of this, but I will. I mean, every single day we are spoon-fed some version of reality that is backed by enormous power and enormous influence. Political entities on the right, on the left, everywhere in between, they do this every day. They are always reductive. They are often untrue. And old things, you know, ancient things drive that stuff. Fear and pride for starters, control and greed. And church, the extent to which we allow some parody of the good life or some finely crafted and narrow political narrative or anything like that to be the prism through which we look at the world, then precisely to that extent, we will be blind to the really needful things. And we will move not closer to love of God and neighbor, but further from it. So we need Jesus is what I'm saying. (laughs) We need the man who came for those who are not well. We need him to help us see clearly, to remind us again and again and again, to speak to us in whatever way is fitting for him by the Spirit of the, the true story of the world at the center of which beats the heart of self-giving love. We need Jesus to loose us, we who are so prone to be bound. <laughs> And that is why he came. Church, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, they are the things to which Sabbath pointed all along. They are, by faith in him, the means of our gracious forgiveness and liberation and healing and rest. So put your faith in him if you haven't yet. Or remain with him if you have. Come back if you have wandered away. And rejoice, like Luke said that people did that day in the synagogue, rejoice, join in the chorus of the daughter of Abraham at all the glorious things that were done by him. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would, um, (laughs) that you would work in us whatever it is that you need to work so that we would remember the true story of the world, so that we wouldn't be carved up and sorted out and divided by any other vision of what is true of this world than the one that you have told us is true, that leads to the reconciliation of all things back to you through Jesus, your son, by his cross. Father, we pray that you would make it so that that is the animating story of our lives, the animating action and power in our lives, so that we would not miss the needful things that are all around us. Father, we ask that you would uh, do this so that we can grow up in our faith and mature in our faith. Do this so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken and hurting world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.